Well, on to today's topic. We're in a series called What to Do When. Last week, we spoke about what to do when I've got options. We spoke about how you've got limited resource, but you've got God-given resource uh, that allows you to choose wisely how to lead a flourishing life. Next week is going to be really exciting. We're going to talk about what to do when I've lost something or someone important to me. This is a topic uh, that we don't talk about often in church because grief is this really difficult thing to talk about and everyone deals with it differently but we want to take some time Beck and I have been on a journey many of you know we are in the adoption process and part of it is understanding grief a lot more and as we understand grief uh, we want to teach you because I believe that every single one of us every single season of our life need to grieve which sounds a bit crazy which might sound a little bit whack but all of you have got things to grieve i when i was starting to research this and get myself ready for this message i was like god was highlighting stuff that i was like you mean i i actually have to go through a grieving process about that and and when we don't do that especially about certain big things in our life we get stuck and so if you're feeling a little bit stuck there's a chance that you've got grief that is holding you back and so we're going to talk about that next week. Don't worry, it is not about eating tubs of ice cream and crying. All right, that's not what next week's going to be about. Although I would love tubs of ice cream, not so much the crying. Um, but we'll see what the weather is like. We might bring some icy poles out. And just to let you know, I'm the one that's working hard up here. I was sitting down there, I was like, this is actually not too bad. So while I'm working, you can help me out. Let me know that you're alive. Uh, that you're not sweating into a puddle. Um, but this week, I'm really excited about this topic. I've learned a lot about this, and I believe that it's going to be helpful. We are going to talk about stress. What to do when I feel stressed. I'm going to get a little bit into a teaching mode, um, and, and, and I want you to catch this. Because, as like last week, we talked about options. We all have options in our life. Next week, we'll talk about grief. I just mentioned we have grief every season of our life. But we will also have stress every season of our life. And this series really, if, if we want to talk about it differently, it's about getting yourself ready to flourish. Because we have these choices about how we lead our lives and what we do with our resources that determines whether we are going to flourish or not. And how we handle stress is becoming more and more important in our society because there's so many things that we need to keep in mind nowadays with technology making life go into warp speed. We actually have to handle a complexity that even 20 years ago was not necessary. We need to learn how to handle stress. And in my job, I see so many people that don't know how to handle stress. Many people think that handling stress is saying, I'm not stressed. And then breaking down, falling sick. I used to do that a lot. My two uh, coping mechanisms is to allow my body to break down. So I'll get a man flu. So all you guys, that when you get man flus, there's a chance that you're not, not, not recognizing that you have been under chronic stress for a, a season. And the other thing I do is that I'm not stressed. I'm just eating all the chocolate in the house. That's what I do. And if you do that, I, some of you guys are not looking at me right now because you know that you don't handle stress well. And I thought I used to handle stress well because I'm a high-capacity person. I would throw myself into projects and I would handle them well. But I didn't realize that I was not handling stress well. So I want to get into a little bit of teaching. And the first thing is that stress is your friend. 
There is a good thing, a good element about stress, and psychologically speaking, we call that eustress, E-U stress. E-U is this Greek for good, good stress. So we want to exist in eustress for our productivity. Uh, uh, there are times where you need to be calm and out of eustress. We need to deactivate our bodies. But if you've got a project, if you've got a situation that you're handling, you want to stay in eustress. What does eustress do? Well, eustress is when you enter a situation that stretches you, but you at the same time feel as though you can summon the resources or learn the resources necessary to be able to overcome the situation. So you stress means that you feel as though the situation is within your control. Let me just show you this graph that's going to come up on the screen. So you see, when we are, the left side shouldn't be distressed. It should be no stress or less. Yeah, not enough stress. But when we have no stress, we are demotivated. We don't do anything of our lives. There's nothing that you need to accomplish. There's nothing that you need to do. So you do nothing. You're bored. You're confused. You're apathetic. You don't pay attention to anything because you don't need to. But when you are in positive stress, it activates your body to a place where you are getting the resources into your brain, into your body to focus, to think, to process and to handle the situation well. And in fact, because the situation is a little bit beyond you and therefore causing you a little bit of stress, when you have accomplished a task, you feel great about yourself because you actually realize that you are more capable of learning, you're more capable of growing than you previously knew. Every Sunday that I preach is a moment that I step into you stress. I am not distressed by standing up here and speaking is quite easy for me, but it's always a stretch. Why? Because I want to be getting better in my teaching. I want to ensure that I am bringing the Word of God to you. And how do I know whether I am? Well, that's why it's a little bit stressful. But after I deliver the message, and you know, you come crying to me. No, I'm not joking about that. But when I preach and I know that I have spoken the Word of God, delivered it as well as I can in that moment, I feel I've accomplished something meaningful. If you have no eustress in your life, you're not accomplishing anything meaningful. If you don't have anything that is stretching you this year, you are being a bum. I'm not trying to be harsh, but what are you doing? What are you doing? It's okay for your kids to feel stressed at school because it means that they are learning. That's why they go to school. If you go to school and you just want to breeze through every single day, it probably means that they're not learning much. They're not pushing themselves. Or maybe they are on the other side and therefore they have fallen off the cliff in terms of stress and motivation. But anyway, you stress. Get it? You stress. You stress is a good thing. You want you stress. You stress is your friend. You stress gets you activated, gets you the resources within your body, within your brain to be able to handle situations well. Now we're going to look into a story in the Bible. We are going to be looking into 1 Kings 17 to 19. I can't read all of that because that will take all the time that we have today. But we want to focus in on a man named Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. And in 1 Kings 17, 1, we don't know his background at all. He just pops up in the Bible, and this is what it says. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, 
whom I serve, there will be neither Jew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, one verse doesn't say a lot, but you need to realize for an unknown prophet who has got no record so far as to what he has done, he is being given an assignment, a situation to go speak to the king. Ahab is known as one of the most wicked, if not the most wicked king in Israel's history. It is like going to the bully of all bullies and confronting them. Got a little bit of a picture for you uh, in the next slide. It's like you are that little guy, you are going to the king and you're saying to the king, this is what is going to happen. Who thinks that you would be a bit intimidated by this? Ahab brought in idol worship that include child sacrifice. This guy did not care about people's lives, okay? This is the kind of person that Elijah was going up to, and he goes up to this guy, basically just says, hey, no rain for the next three years or, or the next season until I say so. He does it and does it well. and tells me that Elijah's in eustress. The situation is going to stretch him, because going to a king and telling him this is how it's going to be is pretty crazy, but he felt like he had the resource to handle it. Keep that in mind. And from there, three years pass. There is no rain. Elijah actually spoke the word of God. He announced his confirmation. Awesome. I know that God backs me up, and he is on my side, and I'm hearing from him. Three years later, no rain. The land is in severe drought. It is um, uh, probably a famine is about to come and strike the nation. And, and Elijah, once again, he comes out of his hiding place because God told him to hide for the three years. And he finds this guy named Obadiah. Obadiah is one of the king's uh, men, but he is a God-fearing man. And he says to Obadiah, Obadiah, I need to speak to the king. Obadiah is like, you are going to get me killed. This guy who actually works for the king is more scared of the king than Elijah is. Because he knows the insides and outs of what this guy's like. He said, you are going to get me killed for even mentioning your name. <laughs> Pretty crazy. But anyway, he, uh, Obadiah said, well, if, if I die, I die. I guess I've got to serve God. And he, he gets uh, Elijah in audience with, uh, with, with Ahab. And he says to Ahab, Ahab, now that you know that God's word is real, we need the whole nation to know about this. So you gather all the false prophets of your false gods of Baal and of Asherah. There were 850 of them, and they were going to have a showdown on a place called Mount Carmel. The showdown was this, that they would both build an altar, they would both have a bull that they slaughter and prepare for sacrifice, and the God who answers by fire is the real God. Now, in all of history, this showdown has never been done before. This is going to be a bit of a stretch one guy against 850 and says, Who, whoever prays to God and he answers by fire. You know, I, if I was Elijah, I'd be like, let's test this out first. When there isn't an audience, God, little fire, just, just a little one, just let me know that this is possible. This guy just goes brazenly up to them and he, he allows the prophets, to, the false prophets to have first go. They go around chanting, jumping around uh, uh, and even slashing themselves to get their God's attention. 
just to let you know the confidence that is in Elijah, 1 Kings 18:27. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awake. Who is this fella? Like, I would be way over you stressed by now. I would have fallen off the cliff about three chapters ago. This guy is taunting 850 prophets and he was, he was gaining confidence. He, he finally takes his turn. He, he even gets water poured over his bull and over the altar. And then he calls, he just simply prays and, and God answers by fire. It consumes a bull. It even consumes all the rocks and all the water. And he brings about a great victory. Israel turns to God in that moment, kills, slaughters all 850 of those other prophets. Pretty good win. Pretty good win for a guy who's entered into a challenge that who knows how it's going to work out, right? And then he goes on and he says to Ahab, now that you know that God is real, I'm going to pray and he's going to send rain. So you go home, I'll go pray, it's going to rain. That also happens. This guy has done three and, and I'm just bringing out three. In, in those two chapters, there's even more examples of, of this guy uh, facing situations that are crazy. Facing situations that are impossible situations. But yet, he did not seem to be distressed. He was staying in the zone of eustress. He was able to motivate himself to do crazy, amazing stuff placing himself in danger but never doubting that God was going to come through for him. If I can say something to you, if you understand God's call on your life, if you understand who God has fashioned you to be, you can face any situation with his calling behind you and you're not going to be stressed. You're not going to be distressed. You are going to be you stressed. You are going to be motivated. You're going to be like, bring it on. And I wish that our church would be full of people that would understand the call of God and facing every single moment of their life going like, if God's for me, who can be against me? That you might come against me with, with taunts and, and, and trying to tear me down, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Most High. And you have to back down because I've got a resource on my side that you can only dream about. I wish that Christians had that kind of, I don't, I don't dare to say the word, Chutzpah, holy chutzpah. Chutzpah is apparently this, this Jewish word for, for spiritual courage. So get yourself going. Get yourself some eustress. Stretch yourself this year. What are you going to do that seemed impossible for you but God is calling you to? Some of you need to rise up in your leadership because you have been slacking off. And you have been demotivated about yourself thinking, oh, no, I'm not there. But God's kind of like, come on, get going. Anyway, that's you stress. I want to switch because the story switches as well. We now hit 1 Kings 19. Keep in mind everything that I've told you about Elijah and his journey so far. The next day, well, actually, it might have been the same day. Elijah receives a note from Jezebel, who is Ahab's wife, who could have been even more evil than Ahab himself. She sends a note to him saying, I've got a certain set of skills, and I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. She went Liam Neeson on him, and this was Elijah's response. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. 
When he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. At some point, when Elijah received Jezebel's note, he flipped from eustress into distress. He went from feeling capable of handling the situation to going, I can't handle this. What in the world is going on? You see, distress kind of hits us in really weird moments and times, and it can actually make zero sense. With everything that you have accomplished in your life, suddenly that thing is taking you out? Why? See, stress is actually understood between two lines. Got two lines coming up. Got one line at the top and one line at the bottom. This is what researchers are telling us about what, or how to understand stress. And on the top line is our expectations on how we need to deal with the situation or what we think the outcome should be of the situation. And on the bottom line is resources that we are able to think about. It, the gap between your expectations and your resources is what causes you stress. This is something that psychology is showing to us. When the lines between the expectation and resources are very far apart and there's a wide gap, we have more stress. But when the lines are very close together, that means that we have little stress. So as you can see, when you have very low expectations and you've got lots of resources, you are not going to be motivated because it's just like, you can just fall asleep and make it happen. But when there is high expectations and you're not quite sure where your resources are at, you need to build more resources, gain more resources in order to hit those expectations. That is what you stress looks like. But when you see the expectations are too high, and your resources are too low, you will think that you are unable to deal with the situation and find yourself in distress. For Elijah, we have a little clue into why he went into distress. He says, I have had enough, Lord, take my life. A sign of hopelessness, a sign that this is too much for me, right? I am no better than my ancestors. His little phrase, I am no better than my ancestors, gives us a little clue is a clue because what was he? He was a prophet. Who was his ancestors? Other prophets. God had sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the nation of Israel, trying to get them to turn around, trying to get them to turn from their idolatry and back to God. The expectation was that maybe by proclaiming the word of God and showing signs and wonders, the people would turn around. But after Mount Carmel, Probably, in my mind, in my understanding of the situation, Elijah thought that that was going to be the turning point. This is the moment that Israel turns around for good, and I have fulfilled my expectations. He was working himself up to this showdown, to this confrontation, knowing that it was going to take lots of resources, but knowing that God was going to come through for him but when Jezebel sent the letter Elijah had a moment where he went you mean all of that wasn't good enough what more is it going to take the expectations are too high for me I am no better 
than my ancestors. He fell into distress, at least partly because he suddenly saw the expectations that it's too much. I caused the drought. I caught fire from heaven. I removed the drought. The people have not turned. What else do you want from me? I don't have much else to give. And so he falls into a little pit and he was willing to die. He was like, I'm done. I'm checking out. I'm not going to give anymore because I don't think I've got much more to give. I want you to watch God's response to Elijah as he lies under this broom bush. Because it's a pretty interesting way of handling this situation. Because if I was God, right, I would deal with that expectation. I'll be like, come on, Elijah, you're not the one that changes people's minds. I'm the one that works through you. I'm the one that's telling you what... It makes sense, right? If his expectations were bad, maybe the good thing to do was to change his expectations. But God actually does something really different. 1 Kings 19, 5 to 8. Then he lay down. This is Elijah. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals. God is a good baker. And a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he went and traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. What did God do? Listen, what did God do? God dealt with his physical exhaustion. God dealt with his physical exhaustion. God's actually extremely smart, amazingly smart. Do you believe me? God knows how we are wired. See, what happens when we are in eustress is that our bodies are activated to a state where we are, our senses are heightened, our brain is getting more nourishment, and we are able to think clearly, and we are able to process. When we get into distress, when the expectations become too high for us, or the resources become too low, or a combination of both, our bodies then goes into overdrive. Our sympathetic nervous system, as it's called, begins to release all these hormones and signals, and it amplifies even more what it does in eustress. What that does is that it shuts down the supply line to your brain and feeds your muscles. So when you are in distress, you are stupid. When you are in distress, no, hear this, your brain normally takes up 30% of your body's resources at any given moment. But when, that's a lot. Our brain is this tiny little thing, but it takes a third of our resources because our brains are so powerful. But when we go into distress, it stops that load, gives it to the rest of our body to prepare us for fight or flight. When we see Elijah, what is he doing? He is running like hell. Because he's got his muscles just amped up and he is not thinking. When you have a person in distress, you can reason till the cows come home and they will not listen. Why? Because their brains are shut down. There's no point. Go and sleep. I mean, I watched my two nephews grow up and I love it. When they are tired and exhausted, 
don't try to reason with them. I say, you are going to bed right now because you are becoming an absolute terror because you're not thinking and you've got your muscles all activated and you can keep running all day. I don't know how you do that. But you're not thinking, so go and sleep. That's what God did to Elijah. Some of you need to give yourself permission to stop. Our, when we rest, what then gets activated is known as our parasympathetic nervous system. Our sympathetic nervous system activates us, our parasympathetic system deactivates us. Some of us hate our parasympathetic system. Why? Because it makes you feel bored. It makes you feel unproductive. Why? Because the sympathetic system makes you go, 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 go. So what's the opposite? Stop. I can't stop. Everyone's depending on me. Every single person on the face of the planet will die if I don't do anything. It's crazy that we think that way, but because you're stupid in that moment. I'm not saying anyone's stupid now. You're all rested. You're all very smart people. I'm probably the only one getting worked up here. But we need to allow the parasympathetic nervous system activate to deactivate our activatedness. <laughs> we need to rest. Allow yourself to rest. You are sinning against the design that God has made your body when you stay in an activated state. I'm not, I'm not joking. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You look after it. Take your everyday eating, drinking, sleeping, all of that, and do it for God's glory. Do you think by destroying your body, you are bringing, you're, you're bringing any glory to God? No. God has designed you to understand rest. So if you don't understand rest, you're not listening to God's design. You are missing the mark. It is sin. Some of you, by being busy, you're being sinful. I'm not saying that God hates you. I'm just saying that you're working against God's design for you. God even told his best prophet, you need to eat baked in hot coals bread. Oh, I love that. Where is it? Yelling up? Wood-fired bread. Hmm. Amazing. Some of you just need to stop and enjoy. It's only after Elijah rested, then what did he do? He traveled for 40 days and 40 nights to the mountain of God. What do you think was happening there? I think he suddenly realized, I've got bad perspective. I need to go get God's word. And therefore, he traveled all the way to hear God. See, when you're in distress, you've probably gotten to a stage where you are not really listening to God. You're listening to the lies of the enemy and is churning over and over in your mind. Stop, rest, seek after God. If there's nothing else you take from today, when you're feeling as though there's a hopelessness or there's this need to be busy in your life, stop, rest, listen to God. Stop, rest, listen to God. Elijah travels all the way to Mount Horeb and then he gets to this little cave and, and God asks him, Elijah, what are you doing here? 1 Kings 19.10 is Elijah's response. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. This shows us the state of mind, the perspective that Elijah was in. He thought, I have no resources left. The expectation is too much, and I've got no resources left. Elijah was still in distress, maybe in a better state because he was being 
His body was deactivated, but he still could not see very clearly. See, this is the same Elijah that confronted Ahab twice. This is the same Elijah that confronted 850 prophets of Baal. It's the same guy with a different perspective. You're not you when you're stressed. You're not you when you're stressed. I've seen some of you when you're stressed. You are evil personified. You are terrible. Have a Snickers bar. Go, get some rest. You're not you when you're stressed. You're not nice. You're not considerate. You're not empathetic. You're not even clever anymore. Elijah turned into this mess in distress. He couldn't see the resources. I love what God does in this next moment. I used to kind of wonder what was going on here. But God tells Elijah, step out of the cave. I want to talk to you. And what God then does is is he sends this rushing strong wind. He sends this earthquake and he sends this fire. I used to think that God was throwing a tantrum. Why are you not listening to me? I was like, what is going on? But I started to think about it through the lens of stress and what was... Do you know that Elijah's resources never came from within himself? When he called in the drought, was it him that stopped the rain? When he called down fire from heaven, was he the one that produced that fire? When he made it rain and break the drought, was it him that broke the drought? They were always God's resources. And in this moment when he was like, I'm the only one left and there's nothing left for me, God's like, hey, 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 my storehouses are still full. Here's just a little, here's just a little demonstration of what I'm able to do. You want some wind? Have some wind. You want some earthquake? Have some earth. I'm still over the throne of this well and you're stressing out about your lack when you've got a God who's never withheld his resources from you. And so when you are stressed and tired and think that you are all alone, it is a lie that you need to squash. In fact, when you are stressed, come on, young people, expect, no, no, you know what, every single person, when you are stressed, you push people away. You do that. What did Elijah do? He said, I'm the only one left. Who was the one that brought him an audience with the king? Obadiah. What was it happening to Obadiah now? I don't know. He's not here, is he? What about your servant? The guy who's been following you everywhere, doing everything that you do. I don't know, I left him behind somewhere. So why are you alone? When you are stressed and isolating yourself, you are taking out the resources that God has placed in your life. When you stop coming to church on Sundays because you've got things that are due, what are you doing? You're isolating because of stress. You are doing something really stupid. I'm not saying you are stupid. I'm saying you're doing something stupid. You are removing people who can speak into your life. One of the greatest lies in Australia is that you're an individual. You have to think for yourself and you have to fend for yourself. It says that you are only you when you work out who you are. God says you are you when you are living in community. You are you when you know how to exist in my body. You have purpose and you have meaning when you are attached to someone other than yourself. You know why you're always stressed? It's because you're always alone. Are you allowing anyone to speak into your life? The resources of heaven is available for you, but Elijah didn't want any of it. You know when God was putting on that show, what was Elijah doing? He didn't want a bar of it. He was still hiding in the cave. It was only after God had done all of that, he was like, all right, God's done his little thing now. Now I guess, like a sulking little child, he walks out of the cave. 
He meets with God and God says to him, now in a still small voice, the only time the whole Bible talks about God's still small voice, by the way, and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? God has this tender side when we are being sulky little children. Amazing. And Elijah repeats his same response. He was unable to switch his perspective. But God still used him. And this is what God says to him, 1 Kings 19, 15 to 18. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you are there, anoint Hazel, anoint Jehu, anoint Elisha. And Elisha in particular was to take over as prophet of Israel. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. You're alone? Really? You've got no resources? Really? You don't know what you're supposed to do? Really? Well, maybe God does. Are you sitting under a tree in the middle of the desert just wishing to die? Or do you know how to get rested and find the Word of God and to keep going? What do you do when you are feeling stressed? Realize and check your expectations. Are they godly expectations? Even for Elijah, he had wrong expectations. He thought that Mount Carmel was going to change everything. God knew better. He was leading a stubborn, stubborn people. He knew that one little light show wasn't going to change everything. That was only in Elijah's mind. Some of you are expecting that the thing that you're working on is going to change your life, and maybe it will, but maybe it won't. Are you placing expectations on yourself that is ungodly? And then when you feel like you can't reach that and you are trying to find more resources, the number one thing that I hear people who are stressed out do is that they try harder. So how, 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 how has trying harder helped you besides depleting your resources? Have you ever thought about maybe asking for help? It's not weakness to ask for help. It's strength to ask for help. It's not weakness... It's not weakness to say, I don't really know what I'm doing. It's strength. But so many of us in our Australian climate think that I need to prove myself. I need to work harder. It's like, where's that leading you? Stomach ulcers? Ha, stress. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing here? Understand that God has a purpose for you. You know, it is stressful when I rock up to church on Sundays and I don't know who's going to rock up. Why? Because sometimes I've got expectations. This is the best message I've ever prepared. There's only going to be 20 people listening to it. Sometimes we get stuck in these expectations and we're like, why am I still trying? Maybe I should. Maybe you should find God. Maybe you should get some wise people around you and say, I'm, sh I'm struggling. Stress is going to hit you this year. My prayer is that you begin to realize the inner narrative and the inner dialogues that you're having because stress is only a perspective. It's a powerful, life-changing perspective, but it's only a perspective. You have got control over how you see stress, how you see the situation, and you can handle it in a healthy way. Parents, can I ask you to help your children when they are stressed and heading into distress, how can you help them evaluate their expectations and their resources? Very practical. 
How is God speaking into the expectations and the resources? If we teach our children that maybe they are not going to be so distressed about school, maybe they're going to be able to get through school, maybe they're going to realize that they've got uh, capacities and capabilities and, and all of that on the inside of them, but when they are stressed, they are not themselves. They're not going to be able to see it. Slow them down, feed them, let them sleep. Send them to their rooms. They come back out in 10 minutes. I don't know how long the kids nap for. Mowgli naps for about half of the day. He's a cat. That's what he does. And he's not even like sleep when he does that. Anyway, I'm digressing. Can we just pray? I don't think that today is a um, ministry kind of a day. Although I do believe that if God's moving and you want prayer for something, if there's something distressing in your life that you are unsure of how to handle, we can be your Mount Horeb for a little while. We can try to hear from God with you or teach you how to hear and discern God's voice. We're more than happy for that. But I want you to take this message and make it practical and apply it in your life. Who are the people that you cut out when you're stressed? What do you do when you are feeling overwhelmed? What is your natural inclination? All of those are habits that we cultivate over our life. A pattern that we continue to live in that holds us in a place of dysfunction. God has a better way. God's designed us to be able to go through stretching, growing seasons, and come out having matured and grown through them. Let me just pray for you. Dear God, I pray over every person this morning. I thank you that the resource of heaven is always available for them. I thank you that God, that you are making all things available. You are making all things possible through you. God, I pray that you watch, you help us to see our expectations and how we are evaluating our resources. How are we handling distress? How are we handling situations? Have we isolated ourselves? Or are we running towards you? God, I pray that you help us to learn and to grow. I pray that in this year, when we come across stressful situations, that God, that we run to you, that we know how to listen to our bodies that you have created. We know how to rest. We know how to replenish. We also know how to get around people who are going to help us. God, I pray that we will do this year differently if we have been doing it dysfunctionally. I pray that we will learn how to take those steps into true function and into true grace. I thank you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, that's all that we have for this morning. We're just going to put a little bit of music on. If you're in a place and you realize that there are stresses in your life, situations that you just struggle to deal with, just allow yourself to sit. Plan out a course of action. If you need help, Beck and I are going to stick around for a little bit. Our elders are available as well. Because I want you to be able to handle this year well. Awesome. Thank you so much, church. Music's going to come on. If you're all good, head over into the foyer. Have some morning tea. Don't run away. If you're running away, it means you're stressed and isolating. Totally joking. I am not manipulating you at all. You can leave if you need to. Thank you so much, church. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.